You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour. And we are here in our last week discussing all the way to the end of Nisio Isin's decapitation, the first of the Zarigoto or Nonsense series. And Herds, this has been, what I say lightheartedly, a traumatic week for me. Is that because your your head has been removed by the the insanity of this novel? Decapitated, even. With, with logic. You could say that, but it's it's much worse than oh, you think. Uh, how could it be worse? Well, you see, the friends that introduced me to Pretty Boy Detective Club, which was the the the, the kickoff of this whole debacle of covering Nessio in. Very good friends. Friends is a tenuous term after what's just happened to me. Oh no. Heard that we were covering Zaragato and I was speaking about my frustrations with the book to them and they said, oh. I said, yeah, that's pretty normal. Well, you need to watch Kizum on a guitar. No. No, did you? Is that what you- No. (laughs) Suddenly, all of this makes so much more sense. (laughs) What have you uncovered, Flex? Tell me. All you need to know about what I have witnessed of Monogatari is that Inicio Asin's creations, and this is true of everything that I've seen of his, is that a character's power- is directly proportional to how horny they are. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I I haven't watched the the Monogatari series, but I, I am aware that there are toothbrushes involved, yes. Uh, <laughs> and so, <laughs> uh-huh. suddenly, all of the genius women throwing themselves at each hand- Makes sense. Makes a lot more sense to me, but that doesn't mean I like it any more than I did on the way in. You know what that means, though, is that the detective who's revealed at the end of the book, who just casually solves the entire mystery- Yes. Rendering the protagonist's actions useless, because that's that's a theme in this, in this series, is the horniest of all. Yes. And the fact that she steps on him a lot makes a lot more sense now. And the protagonist is- only competent because he is considering engaging in horniness with Kunigisa. <laughs> if he was not in some part attracted to Kunigisa, he would be as useless as he thinks he is. I would argue he could still be attracted to the, to, to the various maids that are offered to him by, by their mistress by the end of the novel. But but yes. The, the maids with bulletproof aprons. With bulletproof aprons. Com- combat maids. Let's be very yes, clear. They are combat, combat maids, maids. Because of course they are. What a silly scene. There is a fight scene in this book. There's a lot of kicking and, yeah, bulletproof aprons. It's all very ridiculous. It's very spy novel. What a catastrophe of events. You know, we have Mm -hmm. the dinner sequence. The chef gets really upset with everyone because they're having a great time talking about people dying while eating her food. And... She's like, nope, this is unacceptable. We we can't be eating my food while there are there are murdered people in this building. But it's all it's all a trap. She storms off and goes pretends to go to her room, and we're assuming that that's gonna lead to another another isolated kill. It's the old wolf and sheep problem in action, where whenever there's a wolf and a sheep in a room, then the wolf the wolf eats the sheep. It's very clever. Um, but the protagonist ends up there instead and spends a lot of time fighting them and Damn. her and the the murderer because we don't want to tell you who it is until we're done it's very subtle um and it it turns out that the killer has become the victim oh my goodness and it is in fact Akane who is our our murderess but of course herds we have to provide the cliffhanger for the rest of the series so our detective Jun Aikawa finally arrives pulling up in a luxurious vehicle to meet Ichan, 
Mm. stepping on him because of course as you said she is the horniest character there Mm -hmm. it's true then explains that it is not Akne Sonoyama it is Konami Ibuki and she was other people before that yes which is the the big twist goodness me I don't don't know if I can contain my rage until we get to the mystery (laughs) section herds yeah but Nisio Asin has the audacity the audacity to mention Occam's razor <laughs> in the conclusion of this story and suggest that all things being equal, you know, it's going to be the simplest answer. So I thought to myself when it was suggested that Konami Ibuki had regained her eyesight and also regained the use of her legs, that the simplest thing was is just that they had lied. I will not sit here and claim that I had figured out that Akane and Ibuki had switched, but the fact that the painter was not who they were a few months ago, I, I thought was pretty obvious, Flex. So I don't know. You about to say that that's that's a, that's that was the most unlikely outcome? You were surprised by the by that switch. Listen, I'm not way? suggesting, Herds, that the clue was bad. I think that the identity <laughs> swap okay. and the chain of things that were different about the person swapping with other people. Mm-hmm. I don't. I think it's a great a great conceit. I love the idea, and it's the right sort of bizarre for this story. Mm-hmm. But why bring up Occam's Razor? Yeah, it's a bit silly. That's what it's gonna there, be. There are there are a couple of points where Nisuisid is pointing out the simplicity of his answer. In that specific circumstance, I, th- I think that the, the groundwork that he lays of having Arkana say that she wouldn't mind being killed down the line is a really good setup for that. Oh, totally. The afterword covers, you know, something that I brought up in previous weeks. The title of genius is one that is given sometimes without merit and that sometimes people without the title of genius can can deserve it, i.e. our protagonist, even though he is undercut in the end by, by Jun Aikawa. Though I don't know if she actually labels herself a genius. Well, no, but she is the the highest of the seven fools, which is like the genius box of the ER3 system. I, I don't like that I remember all of the <laughs> tears going on in the here. The lore? I'm glad that you remember the lore of this book because it is very important, I'm told. Oh, God, next thing you know, we're going to be watching the anime adaptation. I know. Wouldn't that be ridiculous? Let's not do that. That sounds like a terrible plan. Terrible plan. No, I, I quite like the the sort of twist end at, at the end of this. I think the only thing that irked me, at least on immediately like finishing the book, is that we catch them and then we say, well, we better just let them go because, you know, the crime wasn't that bad. We don't want to draw police attention to the island. We don't want to ruin Iria's game and this like culture of geniuses. But then the crime gets exponentially larger and Jun's like, yes, uh, we can we can kind of just let it like, what are the chances of us actually proving that any of this happened anyway? Like, it feels very defeatist. Like, she's she's only there to prove that the protagonist is, is incompetent. Like, it's it's bizarre uh, that that's kind of the direction. And I kind of admire it because it is a very, a very strange ending. To catch the killer twice and let them go. It's true. And, and it's also well set up, right? Because Maki Himena has been going along this entire time and being like, my readings as a, you know, psychic are too expensive. You wouldn't be able to afford them. But then also just giving readings whenever it amuses her. And this idea that the highest tier geniuses just do things for fun, which is another one of these sort of quote unquote twists that we're given at the end. Well, again, this we get to points. This is going to be an interesting discussion, but like that is the real why of what pretty much everybody does on the island, except for our main character. 
everybody's doing what they do for fun. Maki is an interesting case. I think she's kind of an interesting outlier because she's the most antagonistic. I think of all the, of all the characters she deliberately picks on our, our nonsense user, but she has a candid moment with him near the end where she says, I actually can't see any events past the next two years because I, I think I'm going to be killed. It also sounds like she knows how she's going to be killed. And yeah. I have to say, I kind of loved the tease. Yeah, it's, it's because interesting. Because the implication to me seemed like, oh, is she going to be the next one that currently Akane Sonoyama swaps places yeah. with? That's that's the that's sort of the implication, isn't it? That she she it's the the line is I want you to accuse my killer in the same way you accuse this killer. Yes, which can be taken a couple of different ways depending on how much she knows of what's going on with Ibuki and Akane. She's not just a pretty face and some good lines and and some fun you know philosophical uh, implications because because she covers for the killer multiple times she covers for the killer she's also mechanical and when we're talking about the fact that the killer would have had to spend years planning and making sure every detail is correct in the crime how did they do that <laughs> how did they do that yes. Maki Himena <laughs> may not actually be a fortune teller they may just have been sidecard to this plan the entire time and we we don't know like that's that's something that fans can speculate on yeah but she definitely covers for Shinya multiple times to cover up his his acts as an accomplice. Yeah. And it's it's so interesting because like I have so many complaints about this book and we have levied mm-hmm. many of them here on this show. But I genuinely have to say that like the sequel bait without making the ending feel unsatisfying was like laser precise. It was so good. Yeah, I, I'd be curious to see where this goes. So I don't, I don't know if I could handle reading another no, one of these books. I, I think I'd rather read the Wikipedia yeah, notes. I was going to say. Although I will say, <laughs> all, all the wikis I've been on have not been very detailed. So Zaragato fans, where you at? Step Fill up, out those friends. Wikipedias so I can read them, please. <laughs> yeah, goodness me. And can I say one one thing before we wrap up the story section? Sure. I really did enjoy uh, to just tie the Murder Mystery World Tour together just a little bit more that uh, Nisio Asin decided to use italics to flash back to a piece of dialogue from the same chapter. I wasn't going to comment on that, but yeah, it did hurt me physically <laughs> to read that. I guess this is just a thing now. I have to be physically hurt by italics in any it novel that we be. that we read. It's terrifying. Anyhow, you are listening to Death of the Reader. This is your murder mystery world tour here on 2SCR 107.3. We are discussing Nisio Sin's decapitation all the way until the end. Full spoilers. We'll be back with more in just a second. You're tuned in to 2SCR 107.3. You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour. And if you've heard me say it once, you'll hear me say it again until the end of time. Australia is spoiled with our crime fiction, and especially our crime fiction events. Coming up this October and November, it's just back-to-back crime fiction, and one of the several events that we're delighted to be attending and emceeing this year is the Terra Australis Readers and Writers Festival 2023 Tassie Vice Weekend. <laughs> delighted to be joined by the festival's director, LJ Owen, from all the way down in, in, in Tasmania. LJ, it's so good to have you back on the show. Welcome back to Death of the Reader. Thank you so much, Flex. I have been really looking forward to, to this year's program and the fact that you and uh, Herds will both be down here for two days of crime shenanigans. 
going to be awesome. Ready. I'm glad you've decided to put so much so much faith in us over this weekend. It's going to be great. Hopefully it's rewarded. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was lucky enough to work with Felix back uh, in 2021 for quite a mm. few of the quite a few elements of our online international festival. Uh, so I, I trust you guys completely to do an awesome job because I know you're capable of it. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been four years now since the last uh, in-person Terra Australis Festival in 2019, the curse of the Sphinx murder mystery, the murder she wrote theme, all sorts of stuff going on. What's it been like getting back to the the arduous grind of getting people there in person? Is it worth it, LJ? It's worth it. <laughs> I don't know that the people in my family believe that it's worth it, but, but, <laughs> but I think it's worth it. Look, people have been champing at the bit to come to all the events this year, and I'm very excited that everyone's going to start arriving uh, in not this coming week, the week after. Uh, yeah, it's going to be the 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 Tassie Vice program itself is going to be just so much fun. So, LJ, you uh, you're having some some lovely guests of honor at the uh, at the event. I see you're having Gary Dishard to offer a, a masterclass on Australian crime fiction. Uh, look, it well, it's Gary Disher. So if you're a crime <laughs> fiction reader, that you you really don't have to say too much more. We're so honoured that Gary has agreed to come down and, and offer a full day's uh, masterclass in writing Australian crime fiction is the topic. So because we're both a readers and a writers festival, we have a three-week professional development program for writers this year. And then Gary's going to stay on for the weekend and appear in a couple of the Tassie Vice panels as well. And and, all, and and we're very happy, although I don't know that Felix will be all that happy about this one. Uh, Vander Simon, our New Zealand guest of honour this year, is joining us. But uh, you might remember, you might recall from 2021 that there was a bit of a challenge between Felix and Vander. There was. It sounds uh, familiar. Yes, it I... does, doesn't it? There might be swords drawn <laughs> at the Blue Light Disco, possibly. I think there was a fight to the death planned. That sounds familiar to me. So. And I think both I promise. Parties. I promise that the injury <laughs> that uh, I, I, I'm wielding right now wasn't an excuse to get out of oh, it. I don't really? think that's enough of an excuse. Funny, it's funny that um, you would actually bring that up now. I'll be in fighting shape by the <laughs> festival. I swear. Oh well, well that's good because I think Vanda intends to vanquish you. I intend to make it take as long as possible, but I don't think I'll be able to stop her. <laughs> I think so too. That's okay, Flex. Look, if you're still incapacitated, I'll learn how to use. A saber, that sounds like fun. It's true. I was a coach. In next week. You're in, you're in you, good hands. You can hands. teach me. It'll be like those movies where like you're the old injured old man who's like, I'll teach you how to fight. And then they could, I could play theme music, do a montage. And an hour be behind the blue light disco or out behind the shed with a, with a saber and, and Ben the gravel. be completely ready to face you know, New Zealand's champion fencer. Absolutely. Sounds good. Exactly. I'm hyped for it. I'm ready. <laughs> we, we did need a body for the for the murder mystery party, so that works out nicely. I'll bring some pocket sand for the fight. That'll give me an advantage. All righty. Excellent. <laughs> uh, I should also mention, uh, just, just, just before we move on, uh, that we also have our Tasmanian guest of honour, David Owen of Pufferfish fame, joining us alongside, of course, our international writer in residence and Cleves. The other thing that's really interesting about the way that Terror Australis runs compared to a lot of other festivals is that rather than having a bunch of different stages, people moving between them all of the time, you kind of have a bit more of a one hall, everything is curated and we're all all in it together. 
sort of vibe. Why is that the aim of the Festival for Terrorist Trials? And what do you what do you get by keeping everyone in a room? Is it a locked room murder mystery? Does someone die at the start and we have to solve it by the end? Well, if I tell you that now, you'll spoil the surprise. <laughs> oh, damn. Dude, come on. <laughs> uh, so strangely enough, the room that all the panels will take place in this year is actually going to be called the locked room. So well nicely, nicely guessed there, Mr. Felix. You've already, you've already spoiled uh, it as part so of the title. By having a full two-day program where the panels revolve around one central theme, what it allowed to do was the whole audience and all the panellists ended up having a full two-day conversation about a number of aspects of the crime fiction writing world. And a lot of people commented they'd never experienced uh, a, a, a writer's festival panel program put together in that way before. And so, yeah, so Tazzy Vice grew out of wanting to do that again and also my incredible love of the 80s. So everything has an underlying 80s to now theme, uh, whether it's a lighter topic where we're looking at the development of the amateur sleuth or it's a, it's a more uh, very... Uh, serious discussion about the treatment of issues like terrorism and PTSD in crime fiction in the 80s as opposed to now. Yeah, I think it's wonderful. So by the end of the weekend, you've had 100, 120, 150 people all have the one conversation together and they leave sharing all of those um, insights and and references and, and finding brand new authors they've never heard of that they can go away and read the entire back catalogue of. Uh, and that's what, that's for me, that's the purpose of creating a panel program like this. Yeah. And you've got that advantage of, obviously, if, as you say, they refer back to each other, all the different panels build and build and build and build to create a, a totally unique experience. I feel like there should be some kind of award for someone who, you know, goes to every or sits through the entire event and, and you know, lists to every single panel and, and has that holistic experience. You want experience. a participation trophy I do. Words, huh? I'm just saying, I mean, I am going to be doing that. So I'm not just saying that for my own benefit, but, I, you know. If you want to give me a participation trophy, I'll take it. Uh, you will be getting one. It's a cheese oh, books mug. So there you go. It, it, consider the cheese books mug. That that's a little present in everyone's welcome bag this year. Excellent. Uh, that that's your participation trophy. How's that? I still I still have my candle from the 2021 festival welcome bag sat just over behind my shoulder here. I just haven't been able to bring myself to light it because it smells so good and I don't want it to go away. Oh, that was the mystery in the library candle that I designed, I think. The yes. scent of. Is that that one? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? It's so good. And, and look, I, that's another thing. I think because we are in a very regional space, I think it's very nice to offer all of our uh, attendees a little a little touch of something that's a bit homespun. LJ, thank you so much for joining us here on Death of the Reader. It's always wonderful having you on the show. And we can't wait to actually, finally, actually, oh my God, meet you in person for the first time after like in real life. five years. How? <laughs> How has it been so long? I actually don't know that because those five years have flown past. I think there's just been a lot of festivals to deliver and I've had a lot of fun doing it. I'm glad. I'm glad that your heart's still in it. It's <laughs> it's it's exhausting work. It's rewarding though. I, I, I will not argue that it's exhausting, but it is very rewarding. It's really re rewarding actually when I, particularly when I hear from people who have gone on to go to, to write a new book solely because they felt inspired by a conversation that they were part of. That's actually the most rewarding aspect of being a festival director of this type, I find. You're listening to Death of the Reader. 
LJ Owen Festival Director of Terra Australis Reason Writers Festival there. We'll be back with more of Decapitation in just a second. Stick around. You're listening to 2SER 107.3. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your murder mystery world tour. And we are here Uh-oh. in our final week discussing Nisio Asin's novel, Zaragoto, Decapitation. The, the blue savant and the nonsense user? Yes, yes, indeed, Herds. All the way to the end. Full spoilers. I'm so torn on this mystery. Yeah, you're telling me. <laughs> on the one hand, Herds, I must confess that many of its its little intricacies went over my head partially through clumsiness. I think <laughs> my getting the geometry of the <laughs> second murder's room completely backwards. I want to be clear. I feel kind of bad. You told me I got it wrong last week and I was like, ah, like, no, it doesn't I need matter. to be clear. I feel kind of bad because as you were giving your explanation for how the murder took place, you talk about the rope and Shinya's help. And I was like- He's he's sort of he's sort of right. Like you figured out the the various body swaps that were going on, but the actual how of you know how Akane got out of the locked room with the window, you know she's below in the room yes. that she's in, but outside is on the ground. I must confess, I was very disappointed in myself that I did not realize that the first line of the novel yep. is the answer to the mystery. Yeah, because I really is- like it when books do that. And yeah, literally the first line is, isn't there something really scary about people who knowingly consciously use others as stepping stools? Mm-hmm. The, my shoulders will be flattened. Yes. Is the Rosetta Stone because I did not realize at all what they were talking about in that you line. Can, and yeah, you can step on them um, <laughs> is, is the, the big twist. I at once feel really silly about it. On the other hand, I'm not surprised at all. Yeah. I mean, look, this is just one of those things yeah. where you, you laser focus on like the actual mystery Mm. as in like the end goal of the convoluted body swap yes and then miss something more concrete like i remember you you were discussing the novel with me off the air but before last week this is ages ago before times and you were talking about this idea of of body swapping and how it tied into the story but you didn't mention iria once and in the language of the in the structure of the book i should say Iria is meant to be the clue for the main body swap. Yes. Right? Yeah. She's, she's the, oh, well, if this character can, like, technically it goes, it goes maid and then mistress because the maids could body swap, but they don't. The mistress does body swap and then the killer body swaps and also identity swaps. So you're sort of supposed to follow that chain of logic from yes. one set of characters to the next, but you beelined. Yeah, because like the so. main clue that Echan brings up regarding Ray and Iria body swapping is like the first time you see yes. them in the novel. So it's kind of meant to be your upfront open freedom. We, we got to talk points here. I'm leaning towards docking you a point for the stepping stool line because it is not just like a mechanical thing. It's also a thematic one. Mm -hmm. Ties in again with Akane's line about not minding being killed because if she's killed, that's because she's using someone else as a stepping stone. And that's implying that this is how people become recognized as geniuses, that in order to become part of the upper echelons of society, somebody has to be used. And that ties into the why of the whole story that people just want things. And so they're willing to- to sacrifice their lessons, right? Yeah, I think the interesting thing about the way that the mystery is laid out in that sense is that all of these clues are really nicely laid out such that you have an easy clue and then a slightly harder clue and then a slightly harder clue and then you get to the impossible crime. 
Like every single mm-hmm. timing thing, every single body swap thing has easier versions of itself earlier on in the story. But what worked for me that was really bizarre about it is that because the later examples are like impossible to explain in any other way, my brain went, oh, well, that's obviously the only way it could have been done. Whereas the stuff earlier in the story kind of went over my head because I was so distracted by how many repetitions of unnecessary adjectives there were. Yeah, we've read novels like this before, both on and off the show, where sometimes the it seems to be Japanese authors. They they mire their their clues. You know, they'll have one line which they'll say explicitly, this is the important line that you should pay attention to. But they'll surround that line with all these other Latin quotes and repetitions of the obvious themes of the book and your brain kind of glazes over. Yeah. So even when you're reading like, this is the important line, you'll still not understand how to apply it. We were talking about Yukuro Ayatsuji earlier this year with Brad Friedman from Our Sweet Mystery. Mm. And I think I mentioned that a listener actually told me that we missed a really key clue in the Decagon house murders, <laughs> complained about it not being there. And then I went back to find Did it we? and I was like, oh, goodness, this is a mess. How was I ever supposed to notice this? And I mean, a fair few of the clues, like the one about how, or not, not clues, but like solutions, like, oh, the, the triplets couldn't have switched with anybody because they're triplets is a very self-conscious murder mystery style quote right like oh you've read other mysteries where the twins swap here's one where the twins yeah, there's, can't there's, swap there's because of that maybe fact, right? one too many lines in this book saying this isn't a murder mystery it's like you can't put the word locked room in a book that many times and <laughs> you keep saying it's not a murder mystery to be fair one of the rooms was locked with paint and the other had an open window so you know you're quite right you're quite right there were no locked rooms in this locked room murder mystery there were no true locked rooms unlike all the other ones i don't even know is the rest of the zaragato series mysteries i don't think it is i don't know I don't, I don't know. Honestly, I'm, I'm not familiar enough. I do quite like the way that the mystery in this book is like connected thematically, like the building block style of adding piece by piece to each of the clues. And also the idea that you have to like observe the wealthy people, their wealth allegedly being intelligence in this book, doing weird wealthy people things to like figure out the mystery is kind of, kind of fun. Like a lot of the time, Wealth is just kind of a framing device for mysteries, particularly like golden age ones. I do want to say just on the topic of like the the wealthy people that as much as the novel goes back and forth on classifying people as geniuses and, and defining them within that idea, the novel does go a long way to characterizing them all completely differently. Like showing Maki as not just like a genius bully, but also as a, she's a bit nihilistic and Yayoi, even though she's very well, put together in the kitchen outside of that is a bit of a panicky mess. I like that the book goes a certain distance to kind of breaking that mold and showing that, you know, all the individual non-geniuses have their own faults and strengths. I think that that's really cool. I suppose, Herds, it is about time that we talk about what we're covering next week on the show. Mm, Yes, you have to challenge me with some sort of artistic media, which I'm sure we'll both enjoy. That's, That's what's happening, right? We're reading some kind of book maybe a maybe a Holmes book or something more contemporary yep, yep. what's Solari Gentil doing these days the next book herds mm-hmm, yeah is going to be Anthony Horowitz oh I'm currently deciding between reading his Sherlock Holmes continuation novel Moriarty mm. or his latest self-insert novel <laughs> the twist of a knife Ooh. but herds 
I wanted a bit of time to go through it, so I figured we could do something fun in the interim. That's terrible. And you want to know what we're going to do, Herds? What do you, what do you, what do you, what sort of torturous pit are you putting me through? We're going to watch the Zaragato anime. Oh God. Why are we doing this? <laughs> Why have you done this to I me? I just, I need to know. I need to know how this is adapted by people who have worked with this year with Sin for decades. You know what the best part is? Shaft, flexed. the animation studio. <laughs> Have produced so much Nisio Asin work. Look, and I need to know. I'm <laughs> excited to see all the head tilts that are going to be involved with these decapitations because that's that's all I know about Shaft is that they love their head tilts. I need to let you know also you're, you're playing a dangerous game because I don't think I've actually officially said how many points I'm giving you, and it's two. I have no ethical quandaries about giving you two points if you're going to put me through a goddamn Zarigato anime. I completely agree. If you're going to shaft two, me like two this. Two is generous of you. Generous? Honestly. Generous. One point, no. Two points, I think it's fine. Don't do that. That's, that's, <laughs> no, that's harsh. That's too harsh. I'm gonna, this is going to be the end of me. I'm not going to make it to Horowitz at this rate. That's the plan. That way I win. You win? I win <laughs> Death of the Reader. Whoever lives longest wins. Mm-hmm. It's genius. I'm a very clever boy. Let's go. Let's get this tontine going. Of course, the other thing is, Herds, we do have to squeeze in an extra week here because otherwise we're going to get tumbled up with these festivals that we're appearing at. Oh my goodness, there's so many of them. At least We're going to be at Terra Australis Readers and Writers Festival on the weekend of the 29th of October, and we're going to be emceeing. And then the week after that, Herds, yeah. on Sunday, we have a little old festival appearance for Bad Sydney Woo! Crime Writers Festival. going to be talking about closed circle mysteries with Benjamin Stevenson about his new novel, Everyone on This Train is a Suspect. Excellent. The Rush by Michelle Prack. And finally, Michael Trant. With his book, No Trace. I have I have some of those books. Look, I'm ready. I'm ready for this. I'm excited to have our first live appearance in maybe ever. Hope to see you there. And happy reading. Is that that's Andrew Popel? Happy line. reading. He might, he might kill me. No, we can that. we can steal his line. He he steals enough from us. I'm sure. Look, secretly. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with. Look, neither do he's I. great. Go, go. You're listening to 2SCR 107.3. Go, go listen to Andrew Popel. He's cool. We're out of here. Final Drops is a good show.